politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots to the revolution here at the Conservative Review podcast, Blaze Media, your only source of truly independent conservative news and views. And yes, this is a revolution that we are moving towards here on Thursday, September 3rd. And don't think that that revolution means November 3rd, exactly two months from today. Because we supposedly already had that in 2016. Trump is already president. It means to finally create a movement at a grassroots level, at a local level, to uphold constitutionalism the same way the left upholds their violence and their anti-constitutionalism, whether it's lawful or not. We need to uphold that social contract of our nation. And in the coming days, I want to talk about different ways to do that. Grassroots organizing, we've done it a little bit. But I want to talk a little bit more about data today and the trajectory of this virus. But more importantly, the trajectory of the politics around it if we don't stand up. Let me start off with what I mean when I say we already have President Trump, but we don't. A tale of two executive orders. And this really embodies this administration, this kind of schizophrenic view of one day does something good, one day does something bad, but the bad thing is immediate, it's enduring, it's promulgated, whereas the good thing usually goes by the wayside. It's just a a media stunt. Let me give you an example. On the one hand, we have the news from last night that Trump called upon his office of budget and management director, Russ Vogt, a friend of mine, good guy, to demand that every agency submit a plan to him to defund these anarchist cities. One of the things we've been calling for, and and, and it's good news, I think what he's targeted so far is Seattle, New York City, D.C., Portland. I don't know if Chicago is on there. I don't think it was, but it needs to be. And basically go through the funding, you know, what let's say it's Department of Agriculture and certainly HUD, Department of Commerce, and each one, what money passes from your department to these localities? And let's talk about a plan for cutting off as much funding as we can. That's great news. But we need a movement in place to make sure it actually gets implemented and gets implemented as robustly as possible. Right now, what we have is the president signaling he wants to throw a pass. What we do not have is a ball in the end zone. Okay? So if we don't help push that, it will likely fall by the wayside like everything else. Right now, it's submit a plan. Okay? Hold that thought. On the other side of the ledger is a regulation that will be published in the Federal Register tomorrow. It was informally announced on Tuesday that in my view represents the most robust violation of property rights in America, the vitiation of the cornerstone of liberty and freedom in this country, where they basically said that private landlords, business owners, renters, cannot evict someone for not paying rent 
from now until December 31st, which is such a long time that, as we well know, that will become an institution and a permanent government program, and that will be continued in some capacity indefinitely if we don't stand up to it. Now, sometimes we become desensitized, and we don't realize what's going on. They use a term like a moratorium on eviction. It almost sounds like, you know, you know, I don't know, the government has certain policies, like, you know, they control the military. So we're going to put a moratorium on this military policy, this diplomatic policy. You can't put a moratorium on a private contracts. Okay, that, l- let's use the proper term, that is state-sanctioned theft. That is the state vitiating private contracts. You have two people sign a contract. I'm allowing you to stay on my property. In return, you will pay me. If you don't pay me, here are the terms. And at a certain point, you will be evicted. You sign that contract. For government to retroactively vitiate that, I mean, first of all, they can't. That's beyond unconstitutional. It's taking, it's it's a taking clause. It violates the taking clause. It's it's and, and without compensation. They have these generic like PPE type of PPP type of programs if they can access them. But like there's one thing if they say like, look, you know, we're just going to reimburse every uh, tenant. We're going to go and give them the money. And that's the thing. Like this is we've had socialism the entire time. AOC levels of socialism. This is not Joe Biden's America. This is Trump's America. This is right here, right now. We $3.3 trillion deficit, CBO announced, for this year. I mean, that is worth more than three annual deficits at the highest levels of Obama during the Great Recession. One year. $3.3 trillion. But at least we didn't have tyranny. So there's two parts of socialism. There's the free stuff that they get with printing money now, and then there's confiscating, using other people's property to do it. I mean, at least if you're handing out free money, just hand out the free money. Why do you need to harm business owners and landlords? Why do you need to do that? But that's what they're doing. Without any debate, any legislative vote, like everything else taking place now, promulgated by executive fiat. I mean, forget about the policy for a minute. There is no way this is constitutional. But CDC could come in and take your property now. Because then it will evict people and it will spread COVID. Ha ha. Do you understand what is going on in this country now? That a virus with a 0.3 infection fatality rate. Iceland had a study yesterday, 0.3. Indiana There's one out of Indiana that shows in the state of Indiana it's 0.27. And again, it's mainly a very defined population. Mainly people are going to die within a year. For your average person, it is much lower than that. It's like the flu. And actually, most people get symptoms quite um, significantly less than the flu, if at all. That is now a pretext to violate every tenet of life, liberty, and property every fundamental right, indefinitely, without any benchmarks, any evidentiary standards to demonstrate what, what you're doing is necessary and, and, and effectual, and without any legislative process. The sick irony is when Justice Robert Jackson talked about the fact in the Youngstown case, how there is no emergency exception to fundamental rights in the Constitution, and that was by design. 
You know what the sick irony is? There is actually one exception, and that is habeas corpus during a time of rebellion. And that's the one thing they won't follow. So you have this insurrection, and we're not even asking them to take away due process and habeas corpus. We're Give them the process. Prosecute them. They're not. I mean, this is the sick irony. We have a government that is perfectly inverted, perfectly upside down. In many ways, this vitiation of private contracts is a reflection of broadly what CDC and what the government is doing with this COVID pretext to vitiate the great big national social contract, the social compact, the Declaration of Independence, what we all signed on to in 1789. Folks, this is happening now. Tell me how this is any different than AOC. This is happening by the Trump administration. The White House put out a statement. It sounded like AOC. I don't understand how we could how you could justify that. At least reimburse them. At least, you know, condition it to states, because the federal government doesn't do property taxes, but condition it to states that give landlords a break on property taxes. Where you can't steal their property and then make them pay, I mean, give them something. And then also remember how hard it is to evict people. So they're like, oh, it's only for financial reasons. You know, obviously if they're disturbing and violent and whatever, any other reason, it doesn't affect it. But good luck trying to prove that now. They'll say you're doing it because I can't pay. Which often it's the same type of people. And, and by the way, the income cutoff is the, the stimulus check threshold. So 99000 for individuals, 198000 for for um. Um, families. I'm not saying that's wealthy. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to do something that's dramatic, at least make it for people really poor to steal other people's property. But to do it up to 198,000 income, it's unbelievable. I don't understand. I would say, as a conservative, but as any American that believes in any semblance of justness and fairness and fundamental rights and the Constitution and property rights, how could I remain silent? Like, why are conservatives, oh, yeah, I got it. it's Trump, I can't say anything. All the more so, if it's Biden, he won't listen to you. You don't have any pull, any clout with him. Trump, get in his face. But if you don't, he'll hear from the other side. I mean, this happens all the time. Watch for one of two things to happen. Either this, the, the um, theft of landlords will go through, I mean, it, it will go through, and the, Defunding of lawless cities will not. Or if Trump even winds up doing that, watch for the courts to get involved and mandate, uh, say that there's a federal right, that there's a right for states to have federal funds so they could thumb their nose at federal law, but then they, they have it both ways. And Trump will listen to it and watch for the same lawsuit from landlords to fail because that is the country we live in. And it's our fault. Because we don't get on the playing field. We think the playing field means vote for the Republican presidential candidate or Senate candidate every two to four years. By the way, did you see that video that Republican senators put out showing their mask wearing? I've never seen something that homosexual in my entire life. I mean, these Republican senators, Joni Ernst and Rick Scott and whatever other losers were in that video. I mean, they are to the left of where Democrats were five years ago on any given issue. They are literally progressives, but this is what we're hoping for. 
oh, well, these Republicans win. These are the people who are up for re-election, by the way. So that's where we are. But moreover, I wanted to warn you of where we're headed. We're going to get an update from our friends at rationalground.com. You've got to go there. It's the website for um, rational thought and data and information on the virus and the trajectory of the virus. We're going to have Kyle Lem on, one of the guys involved in it. We have him on every few weeks to discuss his latest research of the data. But I just want to you know, say this before introducing him, that the reason why it's important to know the threshold of how low the epidemic is, it's not an epidemic technically now, is because this is the new threshold for social control. See, here's the sick irony. When this all started, I was like, you know what? I mean, it might be a little bit more than a flu, kind of on par with the pandemic flu like we had in 2018, maybe a little worse for some people, better for a lot of other people, certainly children. You know, we we, we, we knew that here even in, in February and March from the Diamond Princess, we saw the fatality rate really wasn't that high. But they were like, no, this is the worst thing. This is the Black Plague. You, How dare you compare this to the flu? You're like a Holocaust denier. Now they're using the reality that we were right against us. Yeah, it's kind of like the flu. The flu season's coming. You got to, the businesses need to do this. So Doug Duncy, this rhino dog from Arizona and his stupid health director, Kara Christ, announces a couple days ago, they have this whole program with masks and social distancing for the flu. They're like, hospitals are overrun from the flu. Gee, we were saying this the entire time. There was nothing novel or unique about this. This happens every year to a certain extent. Certainly in 2018, which was a pandemic flu. And we did nothing. So you want to do one, two, three deviations over for this, but not a thousand, not sacking democracy, not universal mask wearing. But now they're like, this is a perfect storm. The remnants of COVID and the flu. How could could it be a perfect storm? If this is a Holocaust, how do you compare it to the flu? It's like saying there's a perfect storm of a public health crisis if you have cancer and a paper cut or cancer and a cold. Well, they're not anywhere near the same playing field. Oh, whoops. They kind of are. You see the game? So this started out with, oh my gosh, this is like, this is the worst virus ever. The next couple of weeks are critical. We we have to slow the hospitalizations. We're going to die. We've never had, you know, this degree of hospitalizations, which it turns out we did in 2018. But we need to 14 days to flatten the curve. Okay, maybe another couple of weeks. Then it turned out, you know what? Actually, we're going to do this now that you're sucked in and and so compliant. Such good little subjects. You know what? We're going to do this um, until there's a vaccine. And and we were shocked. How could you ever say something with an IFR of 0.3 that there is no demonstration of efficacy to what you're doing anyway to save those few people, relatively few, that you're going to do this to a vaccine when we have we ever said that? And, and we're like, and the vaccine is not going to provide that much of a contrast, just like the flu. We have this many flu deaths every year with Tamiflu, with the vaccine. Well, they're like, you know what? You're right. We're actually going to con- continue this even after the vaccine, because really, you're right. It's not going to work for obese people, which, by the way, it turns out some studies now show that 90% of people in ICUs for COVID are obese. So that's the whole enchilada. Doesn't work for this, immunocompromised. 
you're going to need a bunch of doses. You're going to need booster shots, Bill Gates said. So then you're like, all right, well, at least, so fine. We have to do this until there's a vaccine and COVID dies, which it might not because it might turn into seasonal cold. But let's say it doesn't. Let's say it totally dies. Whoops. Nope. Now we are on to the next level where we are going to do this forever. You see? Because there's something called the seasonal cold and the seasonal flu. Well, but but come on, that, that's a different ballgame, right? Well, it's not really a different ballgame because if you look at the ER visits right now, the percentage for flu-like, COVID-like symptoms, you look at what they're doing to the colleges, making prisoners of the students simply for cases that would be undetected without these messed up PCR tests and they have no symptoms, not a single hospitalization could be found anywhere now from any of these universities I've seen. The threshold of sickness is much less than the flu. On college campuses, people 18 to 24 years old, are you kidding me? These people are younger, are, are less sick than they get from the annual flu and we're making it a virtual prison. So you know what? If you think, folks, that you could wait this out, you're pathetic. I'm sorry. Get a brain transplant. Get a heart transplant. Get some courage. And I know you guys in the audience get it. But all these people, oh, we just have to power through this. Everyone enforces the fascism on each other. Everyone's scared. If it's a private school, if it's a private business, I just don't want to be shut down. You, you got you to wear a mask. Anyone who comes in, uh, I know, I know, Daniel. I know it's political. I know it's stupid, but we, we just got we to gotta do it. Dude, what is the end game? What is the exit strategy? At some point, you got to stand and fight. You got to stand and fight. You know, we, we pulled our two older kids out of the private school because the mask garbage. But they, you know, at least at preschool, four or five-year-olds, they're not going to have work. And you know what? Slowly, and I was starting to get scared about this, they're kind of creeping it in. Well, to exit and enter, you have to have it on the kids, certain gatherings, bring it to school. So I emailed the administrator. I was like, wait a minute. You know, you have to give us advance notice. We made decisions based on a very clear directive that they were going to do it first grade and above, but not below. It's a separate building, the preschool. You know, how do you, now you're going to start something that dramatic and and child abuse, you know, without any transparency, you're going to start creeping it in. Where is this coming from? Where is this headed? Like, yeah, I know it's stupid. It's all political. I agree with you, Daniel. Okay, but then what are you going to do about it? I mean, if everyone is just a coward, this is not going to end. This is not going to end. But I want to get to our guest. So folks, Kyle Lamb is someone who is no stranger to this show. Um, he is one of the guiding forces, as we noted, behind rationalground.com. It's a website that you have to check out because it it focuses on the data and the stories and the narratives that you're just not hearing. It's not a matter of whose perspective. It's it's the obfuscation. You're just not seeing this stuff. So it's a it's a great website. Um, he's involved in it along with uh, Justin Hart and some of our other friends here. Uh, you got to fo follow him at KyleLam8 on Twitter. So that is K-Y-L-A-M-B-8, uh, where he has really more data analysis than you're going to find anywhere else. And as I say every time I bring Kyle on the show, it's like people are like, whoa, this guy's a sports guy. What does he know? I want a doctor. And, you know, I think back to this oncologist in my community that I saw 
taking a mask, a used mask out of his pocket and putting it on his face. And I was thinking like that violates everything that guy learned in medical school, but it's a cult. I mean, and it has nothing to do with science or data. This is a matter of data analysis. Either you know what you're talking about and you take the time to study it with a continuity of observations for, for six months as Kyle has done, or you just kind of get your emails from the AMA or whatever your hospital or clinic that you work at that just drinks out of the trough. So this is where it's at. Rationalground.com, people like Kyle Lamb, we're going to get a sense of where we are and where we're headed. So you guys are going to know once and for all that if you don't take back that power on your own, it will not come back to you. It will not come back. You can't be like, oh, I'll just wait this out. Yeah, let's just wait till the numbers go down. No, no, no. They are not stopping this, and we are going to prove that mathematically with Kyle. Hey, Kyle, thanks so much for joining us once again. Yeah, that was a very warm welcome, Daniel. I'm, I, as you said, this is like our third or fourth time here, me, me being on, and it gets uh, it gets even warmer every time. Like going going to grandma's for Thanksgiving. There's there's nothing better than sitting down with family and family and friends and and uh, having a nice warm meal together. I feel like that's what we're doing here. And that's what it is. We need to re- recreate a movement that doesn't exist or hadn't existed until now, of just regular ordinary people that have smart things to say. Whereas the so-called experts are just dumb as mud. Like there's certain things that are like, hey, maybe I'm missing something. Then there's certain things like, whoa, like that defies everything. That is just plain dumb. I mean, some of the things we're seeing from Debbie Burks as she runs around and becomes more unhinged every day and says insane things about wearing a mask in your home and whatever. Um, So could you just give us a big picture view of where is the epidemic nationwide, maybe state by state, region by region at this point, or is it even an epidemic anymore? It's really tough to say, like if you, if you really want to be, go by the strict definition of an epidemic here in the United States with what the CDC considers an epidemic, then I guess it's still an epidemic in in a lot of areas, the South, the Southwest, those areas, I guess, are still over the epidemic threshold as far as, as, far as deaths are concerned. And to be honest, Daniel, like we could probably go for an hour just about this alone. I don't want to get sidetracked because that's not what you're asking. But I, I, I think the deaths are being really overcounted now. Like they're, I yeah. mean, they're, they're still um, – they're going down slowly. But honestly, for the fact that we have been down in cases and down in hospitalizations and CLI for the last month – I don't think they're as low as they should be now. Like the, I really this thousand it, deaths a day, I just don't buy it. I, I mean, I, I'm not either. It made sense a few weeks ago, not anymore. Right. If you look at the hospitalizations to the deaths, if you look at the case curve, like if you traditionally look at the hospitalizations throughout this entire deal, right? If you look go ba- all the way back to to March, and you compare hospitalizations with how many deaths that result, you know, from that. You would see that where we are at now with hospitalizations do not justify the number of deaths still being counted on a daily basis. And I, you know, it's it. I, I I'm not going to you know say it's a conspiracy or or cynical, but man, they are really squeezing every last death that they can right now, and it's uh, it's a little bit concerning. But it, to your other question, though. Everything else looks looks really good. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, it, it'd be nice if we had zero cases, but that's not a realistic number right now. But the cases are down. The positivity is down. 
CLI is is at its lowest level it's been throughout this entire ordeal. If you, if you go to the CDC data tracker, the, the COVID data tracker, you can see CLI by region. You can see it nationally. You can see it by most states. They don't have every single state on there. But the COVID-like illness, which is what CL, CLI is, as a percentage of ER visits, it's it's really, really low now. And so when you look at that and the hospitalizations, which have dropped by like 40% in the past month, they're down to about 35,000 when it was about 60,000 a month ago. Everything around the country right now is looking a lot better. It continues to go down. Now, there are a few regions that aren't necessarily increasing. You know, you hear things about Kansas and Iowa. Uh, there are a couple states there in the Midwest that you hear about. Those aren't really increasing they're just kind of plugging along. They're just, they, they never got hit hard yes. and they're not yes. decreasing. And that's really what we're seeing is we're seeing states that didn't get hit hard are just kind of level and just trucking along. And that's what's happening in those states right now. Me- meaning, meaning you had the Northeast and then you had the South and then you have these places that are just really low population density. The, 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 you know, Rocky right. mountains, great plains, part of the upper Midwest and the Western portion, you know, which ropes in Iowa that they never really had much. They, you know, it was less than the 2018 flu season. So, you know, we've talked a lot on this program at the 15 to 20, maybe some places that are higher population density, 25% saturation level. And that's when it stops. So, you know, it's a matter of seasonality and latitude that it's mainly the Southern areas but then there's a mixture of, well, you know, if you never really got it, you could always be prone to it. So that's why, for example, like you explained, you got Kansas, you got South Dakota, which it's going, you know, like people are saying, oh, your Sturgis thing was wrong when you said it didn't matter. Well, no, it has nothing to do with Sturgis. It's North Dakota and Iowa and Kansas and Nebraska also and Wyoming even. On some level, the cases are somewhat more, but that's because they had very low saturation and it's going to probably go everywhere. Maybe the more remote areas less. Hawaii has it both because it's a southern latitude and it didn't get much to begin with. So now it's coming there. You know, South Dakota didn't have any of this garbage. Hawaii had the strictest lockdown and, and a 20-week mask mandate. And it is – so it does what it does no matter what. I think that's what we're seeing. It's an open question of how bad it may or may not get in those remote areas that's kind of the final frontier. Um, but more or less, after it reaches there, whatever it does, we'll be done with it. We'll be done with that saturation level. The question is, then what? So you had an interesting take on Twitter, and I want you to guys to I want you to explain this to our guys mathematically. We've heard news, we, we've been hearing news stories all along about a false positive rate. Um what the 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 best study on this showed a 2.6% rate which is significant because it's not 2.6% of positives are false it's 2.6% of all testing results are false positive right. so that is a huge number and then we had the news that we talked about earlier this week on the show about the New York Times article that you might not have necessarily 100% false positives with some of these cases but because the CT cycles, the amplification of 40 levels rather than, you know, what it should be is more like 24, you're picking up dead or microscopic, minuscule, I mean, it's always microscopic, but minuscule levels of virus that for all intents and purposes are not really a virus. 
Um, we would have that with many other pathogens if we examined our bodies that way. So could you explain the difference between a full false positive rate and the CT kind of BS positives and then put those numbers together and give us some context of how you could perpetuate a pseudoepidemic forever? Yeah, so let's start. This is really important, and, it, and it's and take already, as much time as you need. Uh, good, because this this is going to probably require a long-winded answer. It, look, I will preface this by saying this isn't just my theory. It's, I mean, you can already listen to Governor Newsom out in California, Governor Cuomo in New York. You can already hear their comments. They're already mentally, psychologically preparing people for this because of what they're saying, because of their, like, especially California's alert system, that is set up for a long-term fail here. That is set up for California to be under the emergency powers of Governor Newsom indefinitely. And I'll explain that in a second. It'll make sense when I, when I explain this, but so, so you, you've got the two aspects here. You've got false positives, which are positives that are just flat out wrong. Like they don't have the virus. They don't have uh, any evidence of you know ever being infected, and that's going to show up. As you said, it's a percentage of all the tests. So like if you do a thousand tests and it's it's uh, what two point six percent, then you're expecting what uh, twenty six twenty six false positives, right? And then there's the other aspect, the New York Times article. And by the way, the New York Times didn't suddenly grow conscious. They're they're putting this out there not to be informative. They're getting ready to pivot, you know, to some other type of testing. That's why they're doing this. They're trying to discredit PCR so that they exactly. can pivot to some other testing method. So don't think that the New York Times suddenly uh, became a shining hero uh, to try to discredit testing. That's not what's happening here. But the New York Times article, of course, said up to 90 percent are, are basically wind up being false positives. And, and they don't mean false in the sense that it, they didn't have the virus. They just mean because the amplification, as you said, the, the cycle threshold of 40 as opposed to 24 to 30, they're going to find a lot of people that had the virus or have the virus. Either they had it and they got past their symptomatic period and infectious period or they never had a high viral load to begin with, and they were never infectious and probably never showed symptoms. So they're basically saying nine out of every 10 people that actually did have the virus didn't have substantial amounts of the virus, or at least at the time of testing didn't have substantial amounts and would not would never have infected people because the, the viral load was so low. So you're getting into two, two things here. A lot of people, if 2.3% of the number of people testing are false positives, but let's say you have a 3.5% positive rate. That means almost two thirds of the people that actually test positive weren't actually positive. And wow. then on top of that, you know, the other 30% that were positive, you know, probably 80, 90% of those people weren't even infectious. So mm. you're, you're talking about very, very small numbers of people that are actually infectious and in, in spreading the disease. And that's the, that's the thing. There's a difference between the virus and the disease. The virus, you, you may have parts of COVID-2, you know, COV-2, right? That's, that's the technical term for yep. the virus. You may have that in your system, but it doesn't mean you ever have the disease. And we're, we're so concentrated on cases we're not actually looking at the people that are actually having the disease right now. So so but, we see this spectacle happening now where one after another, every college system, state college system will be like 700 cases, 800 cases. 
and there's not a single hospitalization, nor is there any information on how many of them even have anywhere near annual flu-like symptoms, or it's just because a lot of them, not only do they have automatic entry um, testing, but often some places like every week they have to get retested. Um, so, so it's only, we literally wouldn't know about this if not for the testing. This is such a severe thing that we have to test for that, well, because if you didn't test, we wouldn't even know about it. <laughs> um, you know, there's no end to it. So you're saying, for example, in New York, they've had like a 2% positivity rate. And I've had people from New York City reach out to me and they're like, you know, we're hearing a very small uptick in cases there, you know, because for a while it was like very immune. And, and you know, there it seems like they have even a higher than 25% seroprevalence in a lot of those neighborhoods. And yet they're like hearing about cases. But what you're saying sheds light on that. It could be it's totally BS because are you saying that if something has a 2.3% false positive rate and then your positivity rate is under that, it could be 100% of those are false positives then. If we if we accept 2.3, 2.5, 2 2.6% false positive rate, I can tell you this, as of Wednesday, for 89 straight days, New York's positive rate has been under the false positive threshold, meaning every single positive test that New York reports publicly could have been explained away simply by possibly being a false positive. That doesn't mean all of them were false positives, but every 89 straight days, every single positive New York has reported has been under that threshold where it could wow. have been simply a false positive. You know what you're saying? It's like, it's like politically worrying about a candidate who is polling less than 3.5% or something, you know, within the margin of error, margin of error of a poll. That's kind of what it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have 0%, uh, but it could mean that. Um, right. And, and it could also mean in various gradations, you have, a half a percent or one percent or one and a half percent. And then again, to be clear, on top of that is a separate point, you're saying, and there could be some overlap, but is a separate point that even if they're legitimate positives, at the time you're testing, you're picking up the people that had it a while ago or low viral load now, where even if you believe, and I want to get into this a little later, that asymptomatic theoretically sometimes could spread it, but these asymptomatics will not be spreading it. And we have to consider too, also, th this this has a, a residual effect, right? Because it's not just the number of cases we're reporting, it's that people go into the hospital, let's say with heart problems and wind up dying of a heart attack. If they have these minuscule amounts of, of a viral load and they test positive, they're also being counted as a COVID death. Yes. So these false positives and these positives that maybe we shouldn't have picked up on because we're running a higher cycle threshold on the PCR testing, it spills over because we wind up getting this drastically inflated death count at the back end. And so it really has a, you know, a, a bigger effect than just freaking out over cases. But Daniel, you ask, and this goes to the heart of what you asked earlier. So here is the issue. So we just mentioned this is happening with New York, right? They're still on lockdown pretty much. Cuomo's got that state, you know, on lock. And despite for 89 days being uh, being a, a positive percentage so low that it, it could be explained away by false percentages alone. But California, you know, the, the, the alert system that Governor Newsom came out with, it's, it's a joke because the, the, to get away from 
any alert threshold, you have to have zero cases. That First of all, look at the false positives right now. If we continue the PCR testing or testing in general, zero cases is not even possible. It's not even practical because you could – uh, you could have a false positive rate trugging along at one to two percent, and they could say, "Well, the masks are keeping it at bay, so it's only one <laughs> to two percent because of the mask, right?" Even though those are almost exclusively false positives, or, or, then, or you could be recycling the people that have gotten it over the last right, six months, right? And, and then on top of that, the CLI, which I think is a better indicator right now than testing, because so, so again, for our listeners, CLI means that at any given moment what percentage of emergency department visits are due to people that are coming in with COVID-like symptoms? Right. You come in with a COVID-like symptom, and, and the, the main ones are, like the way the, the CDC calculates it, is if you uh, have a fever over 100 and uh, either a cough, um, either sh- I'm sorry, shortness of, yeah, shortness of breath or some sort of cough, right, um, or difficulty – Difficulty breathing. If you have two of those symptoms, like a fever and then one of those others that I mentioned, you have COVID-like illness. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Let me just stop you there. Even that. So, again, we're going to get that. That is way down. But even that, some of it is BS because – Trouble breathing is a red flag. I mean, that that's the part of COVID that we really, you know, it, it's a very small percentage, and that's that's the de- potentially deadly, and that's what we want to, you know, um, push back against and and try to treat early, often, fine. But then you have the maj- overwhelming majority of this, which is either at or less than the flu, and this is where the flu comes in, because you're saying two of the symptoms. So theoretically, that could mean if you have over a hundred fever and have a cough. Right. I mean, is that isn't isn't that correct? That will be designated as a CLI patient. Right. Yep. Okay. So how many times in your life have you had that? I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and here's and here to illustrate that point. So the CDC keeps track of CLI all the way back to October of, of 2019. Right. The first week of October. So if you go all the way back to week 40 of 2019, which is the first week of October. You'll find nationally. CLI uh, comprises of 1.1% of ER visits. And <laughs> COVID-like symptoms, October yeah, COVID-like 2019. In October of 2019. Right now, the national level is like 1.4, 1.5%. So, so, so when people are, say like, hey, what do you mean? We have COVID now. What, what, what are you saying that you know we're going to have this forever even after it's over? That, 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 that's a joke. Stop exaggerating. Well, we had it before, right? <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's like, uh, no, it's, we're not saying that COVID was here in October of 19. What we're saying is that they retroactively applied the symptoms and they found that 1.1% <laughs> would have met the CLI definition even back then. <laughs> so you can see where we're going with this, right? Because if you have 1% CLI baseline almost any time of the year, right, people coming in with symptoms but don't actually have it. Because that's October. Have, that's not like December right, or January. December, right. If you have 1% having symptoms at any one time, and up to 23 2.5 2.6% with false positives you you can always milk this virus for indefinitely and and try to keep people at bay with emergency powers because you can say the virus is still lingering and we're never going to get rid of it you see where this is going this is dangerous we're yep. we're letting these politicians and, and you know these governors impose emergency powers yep. and and we just indefinitely let them have these powers based off a false premise. That 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 is the central point here. That is what's so scary. It's no longer like an irrational fear 
or overly cautious or a different way of looking at this, different opinion. That's, I think, in the general population, this the psychosis that the, that the politicians and the media have induced. People are just irrationally scared. But these guys know exactly what you and I are talking about. Um, the people at the top and the health departments in the various states, they get it. This has proven what we have said all along. This is not the means. This is the ends. This is the goal in itself. They want the social control. That is the goal. It has nothing to do, well, we feel we might need it this much longer because we're scared. No, we disagree. No, it's it's not worth it or you don't need it or it doesn't work. It's, it's not that. It, it is even to a threshold where there is nothing there, they will keep this going because they want to keep it going because it has nothing to do with a disagreement over how to deal with a virus. We have never dealt with a virus like this. Um, it's it's for the future. So my question to you is, see, all along we were saying, look, on net, this is pretty much like a pandemic flu. There's a certain element of people it might be worse for. It's balanced out against children and young adults who it's probably even better than the 2018 flu season. So it's, you know, roughly in that ballpark. But now it clearly has attenuated. When I say attenuated, meaning... It's just a mixture of it's already gotten the vulnerable people, possibly the virus itself may be attenuated. Um, the treatments are better. Fewer people are going to the hospital to begin with. So certainly now it's below the, the flu. And then also just factoring in that most people who get this don't even get the flu-like symptoms, much less trouble breathing. You know, something scary or dangerous, a severe pneumonia. So my fear is, even if you're wrong in the sense that mathematically this is able to go down to near zero, let's say it would, let's just indulge me, Kyle. It goes down to zero. COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 is over with. But what we have done now is we created an expectation and a benchmark of a threshold for shutdown and masking and the superstitious, you know, social distancing dancing for something that is a CLI flu-like symptom level that is below at least the peak of most flu seasons. So doesn't that mean now, as some politicians have indicated, that come November, December, and January, into February, all of the typical deaths and hospitalizations, and often, I wouldn't call it overrunning because I think you know it's exaggerating, but the stressing out of EDs that occurs to varying degrees every year, and sometimes significant, like in, in 2018, as our buddy Justin Hart did tremendous research on that, and going back to media articles demonstrating that, we will suddenly know what we weren't told before, because we were able to deal with it. And that will be the new threshold and we will never get out of it just on account of this is how we deal with coughs and flus. It, they're already pushing those buttons. Ducey in Arizona is talking about the flu. Newsom has been talking about flu testing. Cuomo is talking about flu testing. They're already pushing the panic button. Newsom made a comment last week. He said, we will never be able to go back to our previous way of life. 
uh, talking about masks being worn by children in schools. DeWine said a few weeks ago, this needs to be the new normal. Yep. They are already conditioning people to be under this threat of wearing masks and social distancing and, and having to uh, authorize the use of shutdowns of businesses where, where applicable. They are already pushing this. It's, it's happening. It, it's not just COVID. They're, they're using COVID as a way, of, like you said, social conditioning, like mask. I mean, Mike, Mike DeWine said on Wednesday, uh, so the masks are making, quote, a big difference, <laughs> but they can't rid of the mask mandate because the cases are up. <laughs> so which is it? Are the masks making a big difference or are the cases up? Because if the, if it's making a big difference, the cases shouldn't be up, right? It's 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 incredible. These people, they once you give them the power, they're not giving it back. They will not give it back. And and especially what is so scary is, see, sometimes you have a political battle and it gets very bloody. And I don't mean like Antifa bloody. I mean more figuratively speaking. It just is very painful. There, there's a lot of unrest. There's a lot of complaints. But shockingly, so many people have just went like sheep to the slaughter. And they've taken it so easily. If you put yourselves in the shoes of DeWino and Duncy and Greg, something that rhymes with Abbott and Cuomo and Newsom and all these guys. And, you know, they look at how easily people have given in to this much they're not going to stop. I mean, this is this is simple. And you know what's funny about what DeWine said? So, like, when you have the epidemic going on, you could always play this unverifiable game of, well, it would have been worse. There would have been more cases. It's hard to prove or disprove. But the, the, the best example is Hawaii. Hawaii was a flat line. There was essentially nothing doing there. They had a mask mandate for 20 weeks since, since uh, April 20th. And there was nothing doing there in April and May and June. It was wasn't until July it came. So we caught them red-handed. Like there's one thing you could say, like, oh, it was here. Um, it would have been this level, but it's this level now. No, they had essentially nothing. They had a mass mandate for months, and now they have more hospitalizations per per capita than Arizona currently has. And and see, what's bothering me is that the cruel irony is that we're right. I wish you and I were wrong. That this was the bubonic plague. It was very unique. Um, masks work. Then it's very simple. Well, you know, this is unique. It's the worst thing in a thousand years. So when you get over it, you get over it. The masks help you get over it. And you're done. And you could go back to your normal life. But the reality is both things are wrong. This is a lot more murky. It's a lot more subtle of a threat. It's it's very subtle. It's a, it kills some people in some way, but it's really not that much different than a lot of respiratory viruses that are always with us. Masks do not help one iota at all. Like like lockdown if you do it early in a certain way, severely and early before this era prevalence, you could delay it until Right, you can't, and it comes anyway, and then you just killed more people in the process. The masks literally don't help anything. Um, so now they use it against us. Like you just said, well, we need masks. Well, I thought it helped. Well, we need masks because we have a problem. And this is this is what I can't put my arms around. So my question to you is this. You're a sports guy. So this is where your two interests, sports and the virus data, merge. 
to me, the way to fight back against this is not political. It's got to be in the culture and society. And there's nothing greater, more prominent in the culture in many areas of the country than college football. Could you give us a state of play on where things stand with playing football? And do you think there's any chance that this could unravel the lies surrounding the the panic porn? Well, it's kind of funny because we were having this discussion that some of the rational ground group, the the you know the rational guard army, so to speak, uh, we were having this discussion last night because it's looking now like the Big Ten is going to play football. Uh, there's there's starting to be signs that they might go back on this and, and have a reboot and decide to play. And of course, those of you that are following that will understand what's going on. Those of you that don't, I'll give a short recap. The Big Ten, unlike the other major conferences. Well, Pac-12 and Big Ten had canceled their seasons. The other three major conferences were still planning on going forward. There have been for the last several weeks so much atten- there's been so much attention on the Big Ten and why they canceled because they haven't been giving straight answers. They did give one uh, one study that came out showing athletes getting myocarditis, but that study has now been retracted because of bad math. So the one study they were relying on to support their stance for canceling has been retracted. <laughs> And they have not been able to give a straight answer. But now it's starting to look like they might have a revote and they might actually play football. Well, what's kind of funny about this is it, 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 on one hand, it's kind of sad that we don't have a country getting all up in arms about having our rights and freedoms taken away as we do having our college football taken away. But it's, it's funny because even the people that supported here in the Midwest in the Big Ten region – even some of the people that supported the decision initially, thinking this was about health and safety, that they've actually come around to to see this for for being kind of a sham. Because what happened was last week Joe Biden ran a political ad, uh, kind of pin, pinning the blame on Trump a little bit for the Big Ten not playing football because he showed a bunch of it was just like this short video showing a bunch of empty stadiums in the Midwest, right, and and a few across the country, but most of them were Big Ten stadiums. And so the implication here was that it's Trump's fault that Big Ten can't play football, and they're trying to capitalize that in the key swing states here in the Midwest for political gain for the election, right? Well, Biden ran the ad way too soon. This was not the time to run that ad. And what's happened is a lot of people that were on the fence thinking this was about health and safety suddenly saw, wait a minute, this is political. You know, Why is Joe Biden capitalizing on this, right? This shows that this is about politics. So I think what has happened is some people have said, okay, you know, maybe they're politicizing this. Maybe it's not all about health and safety after all. Now, that's a small percentage of the population making that jump and, and making that change. But I do think that the more they talk and they the, the more that they push this agenda, as long as the numbers keep going down and they're still pushing masks, people are going to get sick of this. They're not going to keep doing this forever. So I, I'm hopeful that eventually – uh, the man behind the curtain from the Wizard of Oz, I, I think that that's going to be seen sooner or later. I, I, I'm hopeful. Maybe I'm being overly optimistic there, but I, I think people will start to see it because they're really pushing this mask up. Uh, you know, we got to keep this through the flu season. I don't think people are going to go for that. I really don't. I, I hope you're right, but I don't think we could hope. We got to make sure of it. And, and you right. guys are doing your part by educating people. With rationalground.com, you could follow him at KYLAMB8 on Twitter. Um, and for us, we got to organize at a local level and start exposing this, getting in the faces of your, um, you know, again, university trustees and uh, uh, school boards and obviously county officials. 
And this is this is the only way to start fighting back. And again, this is not going to change with the election at a federal level alone because you know we're seeing Burks and Fauci seems like he got his voice back after the surgery, so he's you know back in full force doing his thing. Uh, President Trump, for reasons only Allah knows, will bring someone in like a Scott Atlas who gets it, but then he'll you know, maintain someone who speaks with the exact opposite voice. I never understood that. I will never understand it. Um, but, you know, that's why we got to fight back at a local level. Kyle, keep us updated. Um, again, guys, go to rationalground.com to get all of your information. We are just about out of time. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. Thank you.